HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And I know today, every single one of them is listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. Today, we are recording in the HRN studio, which is two repurposed shipping containers at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And if you hear some rustling and chewing and pepperoni sounds in the background, that's because, yes, we are eating Roberta's Pizza while we're doing the show because that's what you do when your studio is at Roberta's Pizza. (laughs) We had to spend a lot of time during the pandemic recording remotely, and I am grateful for the technology that made that all happen. But there is nothing like doing a live show in studio. Before the pandemic, we had a steadfast rule at TechBytes, which was only guests in studio, no phone calls. And you know what? I think we're back. I think we are going back to that. It's really great to be able to look across the pizza and the studio and see the guests and smile and hear them. There's just nothing that takes the place of a live show. So I'm happy to say we have a great show. We always have a great show, but today's show is really something exceptional for a variety of reasons. We interview a lot of founders with new businesses on this show. And like any business, especially businesses in New York City, especially startups in the food tech space, not a lot of them make it. In New York City, they say if you open a business and you make it past the first year, you are in the small percentage and will probably be successful. If you can make it past two years, that's amazing. Today I have a guest who has been on the show lots of times. The first time we talked to him was almost five years ago to the day. We have Robert Lang, who's the founder and CRO of a company called Farm One. And we first talked to him back in July of 2018, episode 145, about his then brand new company, Farm One. And he's back. Rob, thank you for joining us again. Great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. It, it's almost five years to the day. Mm-hmm. July 2018, and now we are July 2023. And you were in the studio the first time. Yeah, that's right. Crazy. Yeah, lots happened. <laughs> <laughs> A lot's happened to you, to your business, to the world, to Roberta's. The pizza's still exactly the same. I mean, some things you can count on. First time Rob came on the show was July 2018, episode 145. He came back again in 2021, episode 240, to check in with what was happening with Farm One and his business during the pandemic. And now we have episode three. Today is episode 295. We are July 2023. And 
business is booming. So this is a great story. We love to follow stories. We love to have people come back and talk to us. And we especially love to see success in the startup space and in local business in New York City. So just to backtrack a little bit, I encourage everybody to go back and listen to the previous shows. You can find them at heritageradionetwork.org. We have a huge library of thousands and thousands of shows. Or you can find the back episodes on any one of your favorite podcasting platforms wherever you're listening to Tech Bytes now, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever. We're powered by Simplecast, which means we are everywhere. Farm One, 2018. You had actually just opened your business in 2016, so you were a couple years in. That episode, you came on with the chef of Atera, which is where your first farm was located, in, the, in a basement in Tribeca. And it's really a timeless conversation about terroir and chefs and cooking with super, super fresh herbs and things like that. Tell us at that moment in time, the snapshot of what the farm one business was. Yeah, sure. So time machine. If time we were, machine. if we were on video, we do like the time warp, like back in time. Yeah. Well, you know, I came on with chef Ronnie at that time and we were excited because we had really just opened this farm in Tribeca, as you said, Jennifer, underneath the restaurant Terra. Um, and you know, what's not typical about that is like having a farm indoors, right? That's not typical, but also putting it under the basement of a Michelin star restaurant, not typical either. And so, you know, I, if I put myself back in that time, we had a lot of excitement about what was possible in the business. We had started to get a lot of restaurant customers in New York city. Um, we grow for those chef customers. Oh, go on. The business of indoor vertical hydroponic farming, which exactly. I don't know that we've said. No, that's it. Yeah. Which is how you were able to run a farm business in a basement. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, rewinding back even further, I had started the business because I became excited about the idea that this technology could allow you to grow things in the heart of New York City. And, you know, if you're a chef or you work with food in New York City, you know that um, New York goes through these times of abundance in the summer with great farmers markets and great local produce. And then in the winter, you know, it's more of a struggle. And so uh, chefs tend to be bringing product in from California, from Arizona, Ohio, uh, all these other places. And we thought, hey, we could use this technology of vertical farming to grow stuff literally where people eat it. And so that farm at Atera was, you know, the exact example of that being literally across the hallway from a kitchen where they could use our product. And so uh, you know, working with Ronnie and that team was really, really special for us. We built up a lot of knowledge about how do chefs work, what do they need, what can we grow for them. And we grew during that time and up until now, you know, over 700 varieties of products that, um, you know, if you compare that to what's available in your grocery store, it shows 12. you. 12. Yeah, 12 or something. Maybe it shows you the, 22. The massive biodiversity that's out there. And so, you know, going back to 2018, we were excited about that, but, you know, I don't think I could name 700 green vegetable herb flower things. Yeah. Well, if we did a show, we should do that. I, I could do the counting shows. Counting show number one is can I name the 165 countries that Tech Bytes right. has and the Heritage Radio Network has listeners in? Mm -hmm. Probably not. I, I, I think I'd probably tap out around 60. 70? Yeah, we have to play this game next time. So that yeah. that's yeah. an episode. And then the counting episode, can you name 700 things that grow that you eat? <laughs> I mean, even just like opening it up. I mean, I would be coconut, you know, bananas, and you don't grow those things in your no, farm. No. But <laughs> I would need those to hit that yeah. 700. Yeah. So you were initially a B2B business selling directly to chefs and restaurants. It's worth noting that he's in, he opens the first farms in Manhattan in New York City, very expensive real estate, but the trade is something that he said, which I think is important to the farm one story, growing where people are and where people are eating. Mm. Very important. Not growing in another country, miles away, hundreds, days, boats, planes, 
not growing far away from where the people eat, but growing right where the people are. So while the transaction of paying New York real estate rates is very high, the flip side to that is you're a bike ride and a walk and very close to your customers. And because you are harvesting and selling immediately, a la minute, as they would say in the restaurant (laughs) world, you're also saving on warehouse space and stocking and things like that. So yeah. It's a perhaps a little bit of a different paradigm from a traditional restaurant supply company. Yeah, totally. And I, you know, that's the great thing about technology is when it enables things like that. You can say, okay, we're going to cut out this huge supply chain. We're going to cut out this need for this complicated distribution system. We're going to just grow it, and then people are going to get it. You know, a few minutes after we cut it. Um, and so we love that, and that, and that's what kind of excited me about the potential of vertical farming. Um, you know, growing in the middle of a city, it has its own challenges, it has different challenges as well. But, you know, what we were excited to do is demonstrate that you can grow interesting things indoors. You don't necessarily have to build the biggest farm in the world to do that. Um, And you can kind of build a business based on, you know, finding customers locally, finding customers directly, um, not trying to take over the whole of the U.S. salad market in one go or something like that. You know, so Farm One always took a quite different approach. Um, and, you know, as we'll probably get onto, we've had our ups and downs with that approach. <laughs> um, but we think, you know, faithful to this day, we're trying to do something different. And, you know, we're trying to grow in a neighborhood. We're trying to be very accessible and transparent. Um, and we think those kinds of things set us apart. And, you know, we're proud of those things. Yeah. So that's the initial idea. Vertical farming, New York City, selling to chefs in restaurants, super fresh, local distribution. And then we go to episode 240 in June of 2021. And we did this one on the phone. We did this one remotely because we were still in the, and I mean, I'm not even quite sure where we are in the curve of global pandemic. We're still on the tail end of it, perhaps, I think. I'm not 100% sure where we are, but we were really still in it. And at that point, 2020 and the pandemic had created for Farm One an intense situation in that all of your customers closed. There were no restaurants. And you had a little bit of a pivot in terms of what you were doing at the farm. So tell us what that pivot was, episode 240. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I remember recording that episode with you and I listened back to it a while ago and, uh, you know, June 21, you're right. It was sort of still middle to the end of the pandemic. I think I had got vaccinated a couple of months previously and, you know, we had responded to COVID by saying, okay, well, we have this farm. We know how to grow stuff. Um, let's sell to consumers. And so we built up a little subscription business with consumers, initially out of Tribeca, but then, you know, we searched for bigger space. Uh, And luckily in in the beginning of 2020, just before COVID, we had raised money. And so we had a little bit of money to expand and um, we managed to find this location in Brooklyn in Prospect Heights um, on Bergen Street. And that's a 10,000 square foot facility. And so when I was talking to you at that time, we had just started to build out that facility and we were just sort of, you know, trying to get going on this subscription business. Um, and through 2021, we, we built that up. Um, but I don't want to give away too much at this point, but, you know, June 2021, we were just sort of excited about building out this new bigger facility and the potential of what we could do with consumers, you know, so uh, so that was a time of excitement and also, you know, reevaluation. Like we were evolving into a new business. We had to learn things. We were doing different kinds of deliveries and different packaging and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that snapshot, that last episode we did, it's sort of a snapshot in time. And it's funny to listen back on it. You know, I, I uh, you know, you just listen back to yourself and you you know what happened afterwards. So it's it's kind of funny to, to hear. It's funny to listen back to it also for me. I re-listened to episode 145 and then listened to 240 again. And for me as the host, listening to how the cadence of the show is, how is my voice, do I say um or pause a lot, what's the sequencing of the show, I noted that at episode 145, at that point in time, 
I always started the show asking guests what their favorite app was because app technology was really at the forefront then. And there was a lot of activity in apps related to restaurants and hospitality and food. So every show started off with what's your favorite app, which I can't even remember when we stopped doing that, but I'll have to go back and look at it. So there's all these interesting things about it. It is definitely a time machine. In terms of the arc of the story, 2021 sort of being a midway point from where we're going to go to now. From my observation, the big pivot is including people, regular people, not business people, going to the community, going to what do regular people want or need. Food-wise, you started looking at different products that you were making, and then also the idea of community engagement and being local and a part of the local ecosystem of business and farming. I mean, certainly that does have a lot of community aspect to it. But when I say community in this sense, community neighborhood, we're talking about non-business people, regular residential people. To me, that's the big pivot point. And I wonder, it seems so obvious now and it seems so important and a natural evolution to what farm one is. Are you surprised now that you didn't have community and community farm and neighborhood farm as part of your initial business plan? It seems so natural. I I could almost imagine saying, oh, well, we had this five-year plan and community came in year three or year five once we had the B2B thing. And yeah, yeah, it's so it's so natural. It seems, you know, build the B2B, build the community, and then they all come together and here we are. I wish I could tell you it was like a master plan. You know, it it wasn't. um, I I think that it, it sort of speaks a little bit to my own kind of journey in terms of how I view business and what I want to spend my time doing. Because back in 2015, when I was coming up with the idea for Farm One, I was really entranced by the technical challenge, uh, the food aspect. Um, You know, I want to be honest about it. As an entrepreneur, I was kind of interested in that. I wasn't really thinking about people. And not to say that I was kind of some kind of shut-in loner or something like well, that. You but were making a product to, that people were going to eat, so people yeah. were a part of your equation. Sure, sure. But it, but the idea of community was not really something that I focused on. And I think like the funny thing that happened was our first little pilot farm before we even built Aterra was inside ICE, the culinary school. And it had glass windows. And what happened was the farm was so visually entrancing and so appealing to all the senses that whenever someone would tour this large current culinary school they would look at all the fancy kitchens and there's a beautiful chocolate lab run by an amazing pastry chef and you know all these things but they would end up at the farm because that was the most exciting because they've never engaging. seen that before they've never seen we've all before. seen kitchens on tv we have them in our homes yeah and and so it became the standard part of their tour to attract new students you know and so that was the first idea that like oh wait this is a really interesting compelling thing it isn't just a production machine it's something that people can engage with. And so um, at Tribeca also, before COVID, we were running tours and classes as well. So actually, when all the restaurants shut down, additionally, all our tour and class revenue disappeared as well. And I think that, like maybe many other people, you know, COVID caused us to reevaluate many things in our lives, right? Everybody I, reevaluated everything, everything at the same time, <laughs> which right, is part right. of what makes it such a fascinating moment in time. Yeah. Everybody has a reckoning at some point where they reevaluate the situation, their life, what they're doing, their job, you know, what's my purpose. But I don't know that there's ever been another moment in human history where the entire world had a reckoning at the same moment. Yeah. I think yeah. that was part of what made it so powerful in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we went through that as a business as well. And I think if you listen back to the previous episode, like we had, you know, come to much more consciousness that like the people we're employing through this difficult period, you know, we can support them as well. You can act as a business and, you know, act cold bloodedly and just lay people off or you can do certain things that um, impact people negatively, but help the business. And I think that was a chance for us to go like, okay, well, if we want to keep this business going, if we want to succeed and we want to be proud of what we're doing, people and the business have to be on an equal footing. 
Um, and that goes for, you know, staff, employees, but it also means like, okay, we're a farm, we're sitting here in a real place. We want to be a business that's beneficial to those around us. We don't want to be an extractive business in a community. And I think that, you know, the, the industry of vertical farming might not be something that most listen, listeners are that familiar with. But listeners of this show are. They are. Because okay. we've covered quite a bit of vertical, indoor, hydroponic, all kinds of farming things like right, that. Right, right. Over the years, over the years. And I think there's like a, you know, there's a clear difference there between someone who's trying to come in and maybe leverage a new technology to kind of scale rapidly and then exit the business. There's a different mindset there, right? Compared to someone who's trying to, you know, establish something that's there for the long term, and and I think part of COVID, certainly for me, encouraged me to think more long term and, and think about those people and and establishing something that could last. And so I think it was a really positive change. And yeah, it may look now that it was inevitable, but you know, it, it, it took some some things <laughs> to cause that to happen. But you know, I I'm very glad to say that now, you know, going into 23, 23 24 you know, we'll hear about what happened in between, but I think we're well set up to have that kind of business that does respect the community and, and does really think about people. Yeah. So episode 240 is exciting new developments, very hopeful. You just signed the lease on the space. You have mm -hmm. new products, new things, community, neighborhood, people, delivery, bicycles. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> and then I start to see these emails from Rob about how they're looking for financing and funding. And then we don't have an episode for this, but you reach a critical point in the economics of the business where you almost close your doors. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, through 2021, we were building out our 10,000 square foot facility in Brooklyn. We had, um, towards the end of 2021, we had about 200, 300 subscribers who were getting our greens every week. The space was still pretty much like a warehouse with a little grow room in the corner. You know, like <laughs> two and a half thousand square feet of that warehouse is devoted to growing. Because that was all the money we had. So we like built this equipment. We actually leased the equipment. Um, and we built out a very basic sort of biosecurity protocol and stuff. And uh, essentially, we were like selling subscriptions to people just through the door of the warehouse. We didn't have like a retail frontage. We didn't have anything like that. But the, the thing that was really working was people really loved the greens, like really loved the greens. Like they would stick with us. They'd write us emails saying how their whole family's eating salad now. And, and they're excited about the flowers. And we had online content that people would engage with. And we had, um, I think everyone on the team knew, like we have something here. Financially, it was a bit more difficult. You know, we were we were not at sufficient scale to make you know that that business work. Really, I think we were undercharging for the product a little bit, unfortunately, um, and we just didn't have the runway, you know, to to keep going. So, I was trying to raise money, you know, from let's say August 2021 all the way through to 2022, and it was one of those situations where. At the beginning, everyone's like, yeah, of course, you're going to raise money straight away. Everyone loves you guys. And you have all the, you know, you do all the pitches and everything's going great. But we just, we couldn't find a lead investor. We found plenty of folks who wanted to follow on, but we couldn't find a lead. And, you know, there may be many reasons for that. But one of them is that we were pretty much going the opposite direction to many folks in the same industry. You know, if you look at the folks who had raised a lot of money around that time, it was people trying to build mega farms, you know, and trying to scale across the country and trying to own the grocery store salad aisle. And we weren't trying to do that. Um, and also we had a, you know, slightly more complex proposition, you know, we're kind of adding a, a retail component to a physical production and we're doing B2B and, you know, and so um, fast forward to like February, 2022, we basically we're running out of money, you know, and our existing investors have put in more money. Everyone had been really patient and, and everyone had been very supportive. Uh, but at a certain point you have to go like, okay, well, we got to close this thing down. It's not, it's not working. So we had to lay everybody off in February, 2022. And I was kind of left there going like, okay, I'm going to try to find someone to, you know, take this off our hands or invest or something, you know? And 
fortunately or unfortunately, um, an investor reached out in March 2022 and signed a term sheet with us and said that they were going to invest $3 million. And it kind of seemed like light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it was like. Or light, the grow light at the end of the the tunnel. The grow light, if you you want to say that. Um, the LED. You know, and they got to the point of offering jobs to our previous employees and got really serious about it. Um, but that didn't, it didn't pan out, you know, months would go by and this thing just didn't happen. And so, um, I remember, you know, around September, uh, 2022, my wife and I, you know, we, we both had to just make the call, like, this is dead. Farm one is dead. Like we cannot resuscitate. You survived the new business. You survived your first place. You survived the restaurant industry. You survived dealing with crazy, super demanding chefs and restaurant financing Mm -hmm. you survive the pandemic Mm -hmm. with your people your staff your farm intact yeah community yeah and then and then and 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 you know it's i think many business owners who may have been in a similar position would know it's not it's not normally like a binary thing like this business is open now it's closed and derek knows all about this from his background as well and we'll get to that but um you know, there's a, it's a gradual thing where you you go like, okay, today I have to decide this thing is dead. Otherwise, I'm going to be running around with this thing for years. You know, so um, so literally, Gabby and I we were on vacation at the time. It sounds like we were jetting around the world. We we weren't. We, this was the first vacation we'd had for like three years, and we we decided we were looking out the sea, and we were just like, okay, farm one's dead. You know. And I was pretty happy about that at that point. Because making I, you know, a decision. Yeah, because I talked stopping, to a hundred people. Grinding, you know, I've been carrying pitching. it with you. Yeah, and I was still stress. And, and silly things like I was still paying for the car, like the farm one vehicle that we had put decals of these beautiful it's flowers. Typing an owner. Yeah, and I remember, you know, um, this was like a leased car, and I had to return the car. And you know, returning a leased vehicle is like a whole day endeavor where you're driving around trying to get some salesperson to buy this car off you. You know, the only thing worse is probably trying to get out of your f- cell phone contract. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so I was doing all that, and, and so I was like, okay, farm one's dead. All right, and 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 actually, there's a moment of peace that comes from that, right? And decision, and decision, and moving, moving on and being forward, able to go like, on. yeah. But also, you know, uh, not to get too personal about it, but it's also a bit of an identity crisis as well, because I was like the farm one guy, you know, that was my identity. As, I have this farm. Blah, as blah, blah. a founder and a business owner, it's yeah. what you dedicated your life to. Yeah. So who are you once that's gone? You're someone else. you got to figure it out. You know, so I was like kind of trying to figure that out. And then out of the blue, uh, through two avenues, through LinkedIn and through um, a friend who's who's in the industry as well named Ricky, um, this guy, Derek, like reached out and he said, I've been looking at Farm One. Uh, I could kind of tell, he couldn't really tell if we were open or not. And, and he said, I think wanna... you couldn't tell if you were I open or tell, not. Yeah. So that's why he couldn't tell if you were open or not. Yeah. And, and from the public eye as well, obviously when a business is closing, you know, the way that you communicate to your stakeholders and community, it's sort of, you know, you're never that clear about it, right? Because you're always hoping we can raise more money. Hedging. And like, you know, you're trying to paint a positive face, but then you're Renovating, trying to be honest. You summer know. vacation, so reduced if you're, hours. If you're in the outer circle of that, you have no idea if this thing is still operational or not. So this guy, random guy named Derek reached out. And I, at that point, I've talked to like 100 people about the business. And I'm not in pitch mode at all. I'm like, I mean, I'm in kind of like, I've got a mess. Closing up shop. Does anyone want to look at this mess kind of thing? And also we were literally seven days from getting evicted out of our property because like before um, Gabby and I had head out on this little trip, um, the landlord had come and the US, the the marshal had come. Um, It's, It's a movie. Yeah, you and do, I, you could do a movie. Well, literally, I, there was one day where I was trying to return the car. I go into the warehouse. I get in the car. I open the bay doors to let the car out, and the U.S. marshal guy is standing right outside, smoking a cigarette, ready to like inventory Central our casting. stuff. And I Central had to, casting. Like, I had to like because I, I wasn't expecting to see him. Did he have a heavy him. duty New York City like Brooklyn accent? He had the whole get up. It, like, was it just, was it like Bobby D. Yeah, being a U.S. marshal? But also, also, he didn't really want to talk either. Neither of us expected to see each other at that time. Because his business is, right? he's like a bag man. His exactly. job is not fun. Exactly. So I had that kind of experience. But then, so literally when Derek reached out, 
we had a we had a Zoom call, and I kind of laid it on the table for him. I was like, "This is what it is. I'm not going to pitch you. This is you know, this is the business." And I and and you know, he was interested enough to then say, "Let me come and look at the property." And I had to get the landlord to like unlock the door to let us in to this you know warehouse of dusty equipment and you know things being left, etc. So. Um, so maybe I'll stop there and we can, you know, <laughs> regroup, but, but that, w- that was the sort of sequence of events that led to, you know, me meeting Derek and, and having another chance at this business. So the Derek in question is with us, Derek Pitts, who is CEO and owner of Farm One. Derek, thank you for joining us and letting us tell the backstory of what is now your story. It's great to be here. And every time I hear it, Rob tells it in a way that I also find fascinating and endearing and and just special in so many respects, you know, but it's always fun to hear it. So we are going to take a quick break to find out who is underwriting this show. When we come back, we're going to talk to Derek and find out how he even heard about the probably maybe closed farm one in Brooklyn. (laughs) So stay with us and find out who is supporting this program? Did you know Heritage Radio is a 501c3 nonprofit and we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one? Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You are listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection is a vertical hydroponic LED farm in Prospect Heights, Brooklyn. It's called Farm One, Farm Dot One. if you want to take a look at them online. If you've never seen what a vertical farm looks like, I encourage you to go and take a look at the photos. It's really fascinating. It's a lot of fun. It's beautiful. It's very sci-fi. If you want to follow them on social media, they are at farm.one. If you want to hear more about it, go back to the Tech Bytes archives and listen to episode 145, episode 240, and this is episode 295. We are talking with Rob Lang, who is the founder and CRO of Farm One, who's been on the show lots and lots, and his new partner, CEO and owner. Derek Pitts. Derek, how did you even hear about Farm One to even make the call to get in touch to see if it was something that you were interested in, considering they were on the last legs, maybe closed? You're not a restaurant or a chef. You don't live down the street from the farm. So how did you even find it? So when I was last summer, summer of 22, uh, I established a family investing office and uh, as, as an investor, basically converting from a life of being like an investment banker, for example, I was searching for what it would mean for me to be an investor, right? And my family to be an investor and, and who was I and what did that mean to me? And what it boiled down to was wanting to be a part of something that was good, wanted to be a part of something that was for change and wanted to be a part of something that could you know, add, add to legacy, right, that my family could be a part of. And that narrowed down to a, a number of industries, but one of them was the food and agri-tech space, because there's a, 
there's a, a lot going on in that sector. There's a lot of issues. There's a lot of challenges across the board from sustainability to climate issues to transparency to all the things related to that. And I had some experience with controlled environment agriculture, what we call indoor farming. And I had I remember being enamored by the space conceptually. And so I started researching it and started looking into it. And uh, my style in doing that is, is you look at a you, you dive deep into a particular industry or sector you're interested in. And so I was looking at dozens of companies at the same time, just trying to get a score of where everyone sat. And Farm One kept popping up in this area of, you know, the analysis matrix, if you will, of being in its own quadrant, its own specialness, doing something different, very sort of ESG forward in a way uh, that was inspiring. Uh, and I loved the way they were going about it, the whole look. The what is ESG? Aesthetic, um, environmental, social governance, if you will, in terms of how people can look at, you know, it, it's also a catch-all for how people talk about sustainability these days, right? In terms of what do we do to improve how we do business, how we go to market, how we're friendlier to the environment, how we're friendlier to each other, right? And so I knew whatever I wanted to invest in would be ESG forward, ESG leading. And Farm One just continued to blink like a light, like here I am, here I am, here I am in an area by itself that was different from everyone else in the space. How about that? Farm One was like a beacon. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's um, the funny thing was that when we first talked, Derek was like, I think I've seen all of your videos on YouTube and listened to all the podcasts and like him <laughs> and his wife had become super fans of the company, um, which was great to hear. But also, you know, it, it, I think that attitude that Derek came in with was obviously a really good starting point to the conversation. It wasn't really like someone coming in trying to just, you know, take apart the company and sell it for parts or, you know, because we had had a lot of conversations at this point <laughs> with people who had not had, you know, potentially the best interests of the company in mind. And, and so, yeah, I, you know, it, it meant that we had a great footing for that, those first conversations. It also meant that what you were messaging and doing all along was the actual articulation of what your goal set was, not just from a business point of view in terms of product and engagement and, you know, CSA memberships, but also from a philosophical point of view, Yeah. which not everyone as a, you know, as somebody who communicates for a living and who has been a writer, journalist, advertising, marketing, successfully communicating your message is, is not always easy. So I think that's an interesting point of learning perhaps also that maybe if you didn't necessarily think, I mean, obviously you do a podcast, so people will listen to it. People listen to the podcast, but maybe you weren't necessarily aware of how much listening people were doing with all the things you were putting out. No, it's, it's absolutely true. And I think it's a really gratifying thing because, you know, when you sit down and you're pitching to VCs, you know, you're, I can put together a pitch deck with my eyes closed at this point, but you know, a lot of the time what those people are looking at is they're looking at one or two pages in that deck and they're kind of looking for a hockey stick graph that shows your revenue going up and they don't really care about that much else, you know? And so all the additional stuff that we were doing around like our interviews, our podcasts, our, our videos, um, all the content we were making, all the ways that we were talking about the company, for us, that was just really important in terms of that. that's who we are, you know? And it, it is something that isn't like a financially driven message. You don't you don't talk about this stuff really to, to make money. You talk about it because it's really important to you. And so finding folks that resonate with that outside of the normal, you know, pitch making, uh, the normal sort of investment uh, environment is, is really gratifying. And it, it's, it's yeah, I, I feel great about it. One of the things that is notice, notable about this conversation and about the direction that Farm One is clearly going in now We've had so many founders on this show and we had, I had the opportunity to visit Farm One yesterday and it was amazing. And if you're ever going to be in Brooklyn or New York City, go to farm.one, go to the website. They have tours of the farm. They have botanical tastings. They have classes. They have pop-ups. 
it's true. As soon as you see it, it is kind of mesmerizing and captivating and a lot of fun. I can endorse that 100%. But when I was out visiting yesterday and we were at the farm, we talked about how so many founders create a business almost like a B-school project. They're going to create it. They want to see if it can scale. They want to get traction. They prove maybe traction or interest. And their main goal is to exit in two to five years and make some money, sell the idea and move on to the next project, the next business. And it's almost just an exercise and innovation. Is my idea great? Am I a great entrepreneur or smart business person that I can create a scenario that looks so successful, I can get someone to pay me for it. And sometimes those things come to fruition as something that's actually great and usable. And sometimes they're just ideas that get sold and passed around and somebody moves on to the next. But the founders who come on the show and talk about not having an exit strategy and not wanting an exit strategy and really building a business that they want to have for the long term for themselves, or as Derek said, for his family, for family business, for legacy, for family legacy, for legacy in the industry and people, you build a business in a very, very different way when you have that. And to point, when I was at the farm yesterday, I had the pleasure of meeting Derek's brother and his son, who are both there at the farm, which is kind of great which also sort of cycles us back to, even though we're talking about future tech and indoor LED hydroponic, and it is, it is futuristic. The family farm is one of the great, great enduring centuries old traditions that there is. I mean, there isn't anything much older than the family farm as the first business in many respects. So Again, when we look at the story arc of, of Farm One, it seems that that pivot into community and people just seems so natural. It's hard to believe that it wasn't a plan, but so here you are, the two of you, with the community family farm. What happens now? Well, maybe I'll start and Derek can finish, but um, you know, since, since Derek came on board uh, in October, we've been so busy and, and really we've been busy hiring back folks who were on the original team. So keeping that knowledge in the company, which is so important, uh, bringing on new folks, you know, like you mentioned, Jared, Derek's brother, he runs our facility now. Um, and he's great and bringing on other talented folks who are doing events and doing classes and chef sales and that kind of thing. So we've been rebuilding, we've really overhauled the facility as well. So, you know, when you visited yesterday, most of the stuff you can see there now is new. We poured new concrete, we built out a showroom. It has a beautiful Italian kitchen in it. We have a, um, a display rack where you can see everything that we grow. Uh, we have outdoor seating, we have all this stuff. And in the background, which you don't see is there's, you know, many, many, many thousands of dollars of electrical work that has to get done and all that kind of stuff. So we've been building and building. Um, and, and relaunching. And so, you know, in March, we did our first harvest, I think, for consumers. And then uh, we've been building up chef sales since then. And that's all been possible, obviously, with new funding, but also new people. Um, but, you know, I think we've been so faithful and authentic to the original vision and the ways of working that we've had. And I think um, to Derek's, like, huge credit, like, he's come in with some new ideas He's come in with some respect for some of the old ideas. And I think ultimately a respect for knowledge and experience that, you know, a lot of our team members have. Uh, so this has not been a process over the past six months of like trying to wipe the slate clean and not invented here. It doesn't matter. It hasn't been that. It's been, you know, let's look at what's really working. Let's make some tweaks and, and let's adjust. But, um, you know, let's respect all the intelligence and knowledge of all the people already working here. And that's worked out really, really great. And yeah, the, the vibe is such an amorphous thing to say, but the atmosphere is really, really good and positive. And I think that we now as a company feel like we have the resources to do what we set out to do at a very high level of quality. Um, and we have also the, the patience and the time to execute instead of me running around trying to pitch to raise more money every six months or whatever you know, we can concentrate and focus on being the best possible farm we can be. And that's what we're going to do. Derek, I don't know if you want to jump in now, but you know, that's, yeah, I, that's I, how I would I be feel. curious to yeah. see. I mean, you came in very recently. So mm -hmm. I would, 
maybe say it's are you still in the honeymoon phase of oh I'm here and in the farm and is it what you thought it was going to be what you hoped it would be what are the surprises I mean it it's true it was a very growing good vibes and fun place to be and just looks great and you know it's a great story at this point you know in terms of a business and everything and you the two of you seem very well suited to each other as business partners also which is a nice happenstance coincidence if you believe that coincidences exist you know there's there's a lot there's a lot there right and and the first thing i'll say is rob and i do seem to get along famously we we've actually had an amazing partnership and it began even from the first second we met and it's one of those things where you know as as an investor for example there's a lot of things you want to try and do there's a lot of things you get interested in a lot of things you want to accomplish and a lot of the process is you keep moving forward until you hit something that you don't like or doesn't work and then you have to stop and move on in this process it just kept going and going and going and getting better and better and better and better uh, and, and I think a big part of that and what you said earlier is their social media and online presence was so substantive and the dozens of hours of material that was there before I even reached out to Rob, I knew him. I knew the staff. I knew the business. I knew what they believed in. I knew their values. And so part of why the beacon was blinking in, in many respects was it's like a broadcast signal. It was tuning in saying, this is it, this is it for everything that I was looking for. And so I, I think that's all been validated and true in our continuing relationship. It, 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 it was just, I just knew it from that beginning moment. And so it's been, it's been truly, I think, constructive and amazing. And I have, when you think about a family office and if you're not in an exit mindset, which maybe for another show, but I am not, right? My, my intent is to invest and hold forever because I think there's incredible amounts of value and incredible amount of change that can be made in the world if you design it to last for an extended period of time and the decisions you make to benefit year 10, you have to make in year two, you make it. You're not making decision in you know two months to try and affect 18 months performance to get out in 36, right? It's a very different mindset. So we both share that and I, I deeply share that. And so you, you operate in a measured way. You operate really thinking deeply about every decision that you want to make. You're not rushed. You know, if you do something here and you want to make a change over there, you'll make the change. It's a very different way of going about building, building value. Well, it's a very different mindset when your name is a part of it. And when you think about your family's name, and it's it sounds maybe fun and off the cuff, but your son is there. And this is the business for your son and maybe his son and generations. And I wonder what the world would look like if everyone went to work each day to build something for their family or for themselves. I wonder how different things would be. It's such a simple mindset when we get up and we go out and we say, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm just doing this thing or whatever. It's okay. It's how I make my money or it doesn't matter. My name's not on it. When you're a business owner and I've owned businesses, I own my own business. My family has owned businesses. It's very, very different. And it is a very different mindset. And I think especially when we're talking about farms and growing things, that's a process that takes a long time also, even though it's a little faster in the hydroponic world. Mm -hmm. But you need to have that long-term mindset as well. You know, and it would be interesting, I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, this is episode 295, and before we started recording the show, we were talking about Tech Bytes is going to have episode 300 this fall. We're very excited Gerard Butler, are you listening? <laughs> We're going to have episode 300. Heritage Radio Network is going to be celebrating 15 years. It's a great time maybe to do some longevity shows. We've had people on the show similar to Rob who started businesses, family businesses that are still going that have a very, very different point of view. And the future and the past can certainly intersect in the, in the food tech space. And it's perhaps more meaningful. And then to point 
you know, Rob was rewarded for his endeavors with, you know, a, a long-term lifetime investor, which is great. So do you have a, a five-year plan or do you have like a 90-day plan? Uh, what, <laughs> <laughs> are you scaling? What are your plans to scale? No, I'm, I'm teasing a little bit, but so you're doing all these building, you're doing all these events and things like that. Again, people can find you at farm.one and go to the space, find you on social media. What's in the future now? I mean, Rob, how hard was it? Was it hard for you to pivot from I'm closing and shutting it down to I've been reborn? Yeah, I mean, I, it's such a weird experience. It really is. I like, you know. Uh, Do you have the sort of business experience of, you know, I actually died for 10 minutes and then yeah. came back to life and oh, I can tell exactly you what it's like, like on the other side? It's, it's exactly like You that. coded and they <laughs> yeah. like got the crash card and like, now you're back? Yeah. And in that moment of death, right, you have this glimpse of like, you know, the rest of What the did you see? Uh, no, I mean, I guess, you know, that process for me, it, it was one of those things where, you know, it's a terrible experience that I got a lot of value out of. Right. It's one of those things I wouldn't wish upon anybody, but I'm glad I experienced it, you know. Um, and I think I say that not just in terms of Farm One, but also like my personal life, my relationship with my wife and my family, you know, um, while Farm One was kind of going through very difficult times last year, my, you know, my mom was sick a little bit. She was in hospital. My dad wasn't doing that great. And I, I, I don't want to say like, it was my fault that that happened, but you start to go like, okay, am, am I creating stress for my family? And, and I, what are the yeah. important things? Where yeah. do my resources go? Exactly. I have limited time. I have limited resources. Yeah. Where does that go? What are the most important places, right. most impactful? Right, exactly. And so, so I had some of that perspective, um, but also, you know, what a pleasure to be able to call back Kate and Dan, you know, who run our farm and say, hey, like, this is real. We're, we're putting <laughs> we're the band really, back together. We're really bringing the band back together. And, you know, like, it, it's funny as well, because, like, talking to Derek and the same thing goes for Kate and Dan, I think we have those initial conversations with Derek. But, you know, we've been through it, like, five times at that point, and we've been let down, down by so many people. So, you, you know, you're like a wounded puppy, right? You have to learn to trust again, and, like, <laughs> we have to build that back up. Um, but I think also interesting to me, you know, this whole past six months, we've been kind of just doing some stuff that we have wanted to do for like three years. Like I've given people so many tours of that building and said, this is where the showroom's going to be. This is where the showroom's going to be. I've said that like a hundred times. And so to be able to like in March this year, to be able to walk into that space and so say, this is the showroom, like it <laughs> is now open, you know, and to have it, um, you know, more beautiful than we kind of ever imagined. That's been just amazing. And so, um, yeah, I, you know, I feel like I went through the ringer last year, but um, now, you know, we we are really looking to the future. And and something that we say to each other sometimes is that, you know, in a way, the tech doesn't really matter. You know, we're building a business. Businesses are fundamentally about people. They're about how do you uh, create strategy? How do you respond when things go wrong? How do you deal with it when, you know, something doesn't go the way you wanted it to, to? That's what business is really about. Um, and so farm one, you know, yeah, we've got a cool hydroponic system. We've got these led lights. We grow in this really cool way, but we're really trying to build a business that, that works and, and fundamentally, you know, grows things that people want. And, um, you know, those are the things that we really think about on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so, yeah. Would you like me to add to that? Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it, if you have anything to add. Well, I, I, I'm not sure. Don't ever add anything. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll find that. Yeah. Look, it's it's part of the the beacon of Farm One was is about is about community, and and I have this concept that I talk a lot about when you think about how do I try and describe in a in a very summary fashion what my vision is, what I think the vision is for the business, and and how I want people, whether you're a consumer or whether you're an investor or whatever. What's the best way of you to kind of kind of understand what we're talking about? Because it is a new business. And so I have this concept that I call craft farming. You know, a lot of people know about craft brewery. And for people that have been around for several decades, you've seen the arc of that business. It was nothing and, and now it's amazing. And it's a rich cultural sort of 
industry niche, right? That's generated substantial amounts of value for consumers and people that stands for amazing things related to sustainability, to community engagement. Uh, and people understanding how things are made and they love made. the product and they go and they see it. And then the craftsmen and the people who make the beer explain it all. And people can then take, take that and try and do it at home and do it for themselves. And that's a very... Uh, rich experience in terms of just sort of diving deep into understanding what something is and how it's made and then people trying that themselves. I think we still, with the voracious appetite people have for knowing where their food comes from and how to cook and the books and the TV shows and the podcasts, we really are not closely connected to where our food comes from and, and how it grows and how it gets made in a, in a, to a point that I, I think, and probably everyone in this booth would say is at a level where we all really have a good understanding. We're still very arm's length from it. So the craft beer analogy is, is a great one and an easy one. I think people love to visit craft breweries and sign up for the subscription and get the new thing. And and, and they do. And, and when and, you know, when we talk about connecting with with the community and what it and, and Rob had mentioned moments ago about thinking about consumers, if if we can elevate. Greens, salad greens, edible flowers, herbs that are actually utilized in some of the best dishes you could taste anywhere in the world when utilized a certain way. But there's also we're doing something that's as old as time itself. We're growing sustenance, we're growing food that's critical to people's survival. And if you can find a way to sort of do that most basic of human needs in a way that meets other climate needs or food desert needs or introducing, you know, just farming to urban kids and community and seeing if you can do it in a way, but also do it that's elevated, almost like in the craft brewery concept where people can, it sparks the imagination they, they wake up and they, oh, I know how to use that. I know how to engage with that, right? I know how to get value out of it. If you can match that up, the use case, then you've got support for this type of farming like you have for organic farming or farmer's markets or other areas of food that need support, community support, because it's just better for everyone to do it a certain way but you have to meet the consumer kind of where they're prepared to engage at that particular moment in time. And that's what Farm One is, one of the things that's really good at is meeting the moment in a way that sort of presents it in a way that consumers can get excited about it, right? And that's the energy you feel at the farm in many respects. When we have events, when we have consumers come in, there's an energy there because they're like, oh, wow, I, I know that's green. I know it's lettuce. I know I love it, but your version is way better. And I can actually just... It's just easy to use. And the answer is 100% absolutely. Well, and that's going to take us all the way back. Thank you very much, Derek. That's going to take us full circle back to the very beginning of the show and of the Farm One story when Rob said, we want to grow food where the people are. And that's essentially what it is and what the technology allows you to do. And if you have the mindset of wanting to grow the food where the people are, then it's easy. Wow. Should be easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we kind of joke sometimes that like people walk into our showroom, they see this massive display rack there, which is growing, you know, uh, I would say up to maybe 50 different varieties of things just in this one display. And people kind of walk in and they go, wow, wow, what is this? And it takes them like 10 seconds to even just like, you know, settle down and see it. And so the joke that we make sometimes is sort of like, people are very excited about this thing. It's really our job to make sure that we have a business around that, you know, because we will delight. Because it would be a museum. Yeah, I mean, it, but that's the funny thing. Or it's a community like, garden where people just like, come this, to go and like look at it. a museum instead? You like know? the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, which exactly. I love and am a member yeah. of. And Heritage Radio Network has done our gala there at the greenhouse many, many years. They have an amazing cherry blossom festival. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. It's right by the Brooklyn Museum. You know, you could be like that, where yeah, people sure. pay to, sure. add, to go in and they look at all the things and there's some programming, sure. there's a little cafe, people have a snack, yeah. you can get endowments. 
<laughs> you know that kind of thing yeah i mean you know we do certain things like the tours <laughs> and the classes and stuff that are not a million miles away from that right? right and i think like this is where the craft brewery model you know just makes so much sense it's like how do we elevate production to a level where it's entertaining as well but how do we give people that close connection to the food and i think with greens especially right this is something where you know craft brewery is not really that accessible to a 12 year old right but we have something where depends on what country you're in. Okay, depends on the country, but still. <laughs> um, but we've got something where you know, and I'm sure I'm sure I've said this before on your podcast. But you remember, like a lot of kids in this city, around this country, everywhere, have never picked a leaf off a plant and eaten it. You mm-hmm. know, they're more comfortable taking a chicken nugget out of a box. Than Microwaving. Are, you know, and mm-hmm. so we're still in our world, right? And so we we now have a facility in the middle of a neighborhood with a ton of kids who literally walk past the building every day and they can come in and they can experience this thing. And so, you know, we believe we've got something here with this craft brewing concept, the, the neighborhood farm, this idea that we can actually have healthy, good, sustainable food right where you live. And we can also provide jobs for people around that food, jobs that are good jobs. You know, jobs in food do not have to be horrible jobs where you're working all night every night flipping a burger they do not have to be uh you know um unsafe they can be safe they terrible can be migrant farm worker yeah labor yeah all of that and so you know we think we've got this amazing opportunity now and you know we're shaping this business we don't know exactly what it looks like in five years time but what we do know is that that growing food very close to where people want to eat it and doing that in a way that we think is faithful to our values you know that's what we want to do and we and and we think you know we shouldn't be unique in that regard but we are pretty unique in that regard um but you know that i think gives us an advantage and that's that's why i think we're going to succeed well i can tell you we picked a lot of things leaves off leaves and flowers off of plants yesterday in the warehouse and they were all just delicious and amazing and flavorful and crisp and crunchy it's worth a listen if you're a cook or a gardener and you're interested in you know these types of things on episode 145 where it's rob and ronnie he's ronnie is talking about of, of course you know freshly grown, fresh picked, fresh harvested herbs and flowers and things taste great. But if they've been sitting in in a warehouse or refrigerator for two weeks, they lose the, the immediacy of that flavor. And when you have it literally seconds, or in the case of the original Atera restaurant and farm one setup, you know, it could literally be, you know, five minutes away. It's really notable how like fresh and robust and amazing all the flavors are and it's a lot of fun to just pick stuff off yeah and just eat it and not have to worry about did i wash it is it gritty is there a bug like all that kind of stuff it's really kind of fascinating um i encourage anybody who is interested in that kind of thing to go and take a look visit if you're in new york visit if you're in the neighborhood just take a look at it online it is fascinating it is the future and as we know, it's also the past five years ago on Tech Bytes, which is amazing. Uh-huh. I'm going to say five years from now, Farm One, you're going to franchise. You're going to have Farm Ones all over the place. You're going to be growing food where the people are in lots of other places. Um, maybe you'll have little Farm One grow at home kits where people can have the Farm One experience at their own in their own basement, which would be fun. Um, you could sell them subscriptions of like seeds and substrates. Uh, you'll probably also have some uh, increased product line. You'll have to maybe figure out how to flash freeze stuff to really keep it fresh forever. Maybe dehydrate. Um, maybe maybe we have- should write this down so that we can check in five <laughs> years' time which one of these things we, we do. We can write yeah. it down. Yes. We can seal it in an envelope. Yeah. Year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, and then you can come back on Tech Bytes and we can open them and see how we did. Yeah, we could fun. time capsule it. That could be kind of fun. Yeah, that would be amazing if you could come back five years from now. Yeah. That means Tech Bytes would have been on the air for 12 years. I mean, I... It could happen. I feel, you know, I feel more confident than ever that that can be true about Farm One. So that feels really good. Um, I'll let Derek, you know, answer whether he wants to dive into those areas. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take option number one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's, it's, there's the, what this sector really needs is a concept that actually has a model that re- reaches some level of baseline break-even, profitability, something stable, because you can't do good in the world if you're not around to do good, right? Yeah. And so 
what you really need is to be able to do that. And once and we do that, you need resources also to do good. You, you have need, to be here, and you need the resources because that's just the way the world works. If you could pay for things with shiso flowers and nepotelia, that would be great. But you can't. So, yeah. not yet, anyway. Maybe later. Not yet. So we need. We want to. We want to do good. So get the baseline, and then I believe all the things that you mentioned, and plus an infinite list of other things all become possible. And we listen, we'll listen to the consumer. What do they want? What can we deliver? And we just grow together with them, right, in, in the sector. And that's that will take us to definitely some pretty amazing places, even places we can't identify today. But as we continue to come back on the show, uh, we'll be able to track that progress and see what we're doing next. Well, I want to thank Rob Lang, founder Farm One and Derek Pitts, CEO, owner of Farm One, for coming on the show. It's so great to track a story that has its ups and downs and arcs, but ultimately um, is still here and still doing great. It's really nice to see, especially in the food tech space, the longevity. And I still can't get over five years to the day. I mean, kudos to us. <laughs> Thanks, Jennifer. It's great to be back. And yeah, we, we're hoping to be back on the show uh, in due course. Yeah. It's really good. So check out Farm One, farm.one online, at farm.one on social media. You can find them everywhere. Visit, order, check them out, pass it around. It's very interesting. And if you're a business person, or you're a CEO, or you're a founder, think about something that's legacy versus exit. Legacy is always better than exit. I want to thank Roberta's Pizza for being the venue of the Heritage Radio Network Studios and for the amazing pizza. If you come on the show, you get to have pizza. I want to thank our sponsors and our members who help us keeping more radio. If you want to become a member, go to heritageradionetwork.org, click the beating heart, and give us a donation. Maybe what you spent on your last salad bowl for lunch. If you designate your donation... To Tech Bites, I will send you a gift along with my undying love. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bites. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.